right in. So we're going to pray. And don't forget, we're going to have any announcements right this second. We'll talk a, a little bit more at the inspirational moment time, which is coming up. We'll have more time for that today because we're going to do some praying together. Um, so good announcements, most of the things going on. All kind of culture, all kind of stuff is in the bulletin. So check it out in the bulletin. Check it out. Uh, if you don't know, it's okay. Get with me. I'm happy to. We're going to turn the page. You can me or any, any team here in the room. We'll be happy to point you through everything that's going on. We're just going to pray together now and move forward. Okay, so join me in prayer. Let's go. Father in heaven, you are an awesome God. This day, the first day of the week, is given to you. Whatever went on yesterday, or we may or may not have gotten it right, we may or may not have made all the decisions the way they should be, but right now, in this moment, we commit ourselves to you. We give ourselves over into your service. We want to worship you today, and if you want to declare your word in this place, we want to sing praise to you today, Lord. We may not be worthy of doing so, we may not be strong enough to do so, we may not be smart enough to formulate the words just the way they are, or creative enough to put it all together, but we know you can make us able. So we're coming to you today, Lord, confessing our weaknesses, asking for forgiveness, being thankful that Jesus took care of all of that. We ask you to be with our missing members, those who are traveling away from home, those who are sick today. I uh, pray for Miss June, Lord, that uh, the pain from her sur recent surgery would subside, that she'd be healed and strong. I pray for Nicole and Dominic and Dustin and what they're going through and the family there, and Chris and Ashley and Lisa, all of them, Lord. I pray for those who are supposed to be here today. I ask the Lord to be with them. Call them unto yourself right where they are. I think it's interesting when folks say you don't need to be in the church, with the church, to worship God. But he's our God. I'm not saying I own him. But I love him. And we know how to worship you, Lord. And so I, I'm grateful that we are able to gather together today to worship you. Make this time about you. Even as we talk about prayer and look at what you're doing. Lord, make this time about you. Even as we're reminded of your wrath and your all-consuming fire today, Lord, make this time about you. Even as we play the instruments and sing the songs, Lord, make this time about you. Whatever was yesterday, it's gone. Can't do a thing about it. What's coming tomorrow, we can only prepare. But right now, in this moment, we commit ourselves to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and everyone to stand up with us. We're going to do some clapping. I didn't sit down. Me
Brandon. You know this one. Bring it in. Oh, come on. We're going to do some motions. Get up. in the midst of, and still are in the midst of, our prayer emphasis, or emphasis on the spiritual discipline of prayer. We're real quick, I'm going to break that down, okay? Spiritual means, sometimes it has to do with the human spirit, uh, sometimes I think a prayer is much more than that, right? It's a capital S, it has to do with God's spirit, um, but it's spiritual. Sometimes it has to do with, it affects things in the spiritual realm, okay? So... You may not fully understand that phrase, that saying, spiritual realm. That means there is a realm beyond this one that is spiritual in nature, where angels and God, demons, are common occurrences. Um, pie and automobiles, not so much, right? It's a non-physical realm. God is said to be spirit. He's so much more than that, but he is spirit. The word says he is spirit. And so, having to do with the spiritual realm, we're talking about spiritual disciplines, these are things that have to do with your spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and with the spiritual realm. Okay? So that's why they're called spiritual disciplines. A discipline, then, is something that you do in an intentional way. You make a plan to do it, you work hard at it, you exercise, for example, uh, whatever strength you have to get that done. Right? So, for example, if you're disciplined in your body, you might say, well, I'm only going to eat 
two meals a day and have one snack and I'm going to drink 64 ounces of water and I'm going to do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups and so on and so on. And then one day you're going to get up and you'll be like, uh, I don't know, maybe I just won't do it today. But then you say to yourself, well, but I did it every day coming up till now and I, I did make a decision to do it. I did think it's the right thing to do and you do it anyway, even though you don't really want to do it. You're not really disciplining your body until you do it when you don't really want to do it. That's when it's really different. You follow the plan, even though you don't think you want to follow the plan, and your emotions are upset, or your uh, simple nature is kicking up, or you're tempted to do something else instead. Right? So it's discipline because it has rules, it has intentionality, you plan to do it. So prayer, that as a spiritual discipline, okay, everybody with me? Pay attention, pay attention. Okay, if you believe that God is listening when you pray, I want you to raise your hand. See, that's easy, right? We almost all agree. Some of us just didn't participate because we weren't paying close enough attention. That's okay. That's okay. We're not here to scold anybody. But the bottom line is, if you believe that God hears when you pray, and all of you said that you did, then I think the next question would say, if you believe that you pray enough, like you've got it down, you pray enough, raise your hand. I'm not raising mine. Okay. So we've got one person there that thinks that. That's okay. You think about Carson, maybe, if he understands. All right? So the point is, probably not, right? God is listening when you're praying, and probably not. And I'm not saying that you have to change anything. I'm not trying to convict you. I think, I think we can reasonably think that this is something we can do more. So then, you look at it as a spiritual discipline. If it's something you do more, you can make intentional choices of how you're going to do it. So here's one way that we're going to do it today. All right. So first of all, I have a blank piece of paper. It's totally blank. All right. And I'd like somebody to volunteer to be in the spotlight for a moment. Who would volunteer to be in the spotlight? I got a couple of kids. There's. All right. Say your first name. Nice and loud. Marcus. Okay. This is Marcus. Okay. So Marcus, this is his first time here with us today. You volunteered to be in the spotlight. I've written your name on the piece of paper. Okay. So now tell me, Marcus, what is something that you've been praying for or hoping for in the last week? Okay, changing your thing. All right. So what I've done now is I've collected a prayer request for Marcos. My paper says Marcos, changing my thinking. Okay. Now because you may not see Marcos every day, you may need to check back in on him periodically to see how that's going. All right. So you might say to yourself, uh, I got this from him on seven. You determined it was the seventeenth, right? Is that a 1722? Right? And you got it. Now you have a date. Okay? So now, I'm going to say to myself, as I'm making this, I'm going to say, I'm going to pray for this, for Marcos, because I care about him, because he he took the time to give this to me. I'm going to pray for this. How often? How often would I say? I'm going to say daily. Okay? So I'm going to put down daily on the next line. All right now. That means I have to pray for him, this this one request, every day, at least before I go to bed at night, or if you're on third shift, you've got to go to bed, right? Before you go to bed, you've got to pray for him at least every day. So now I've made, a, I've made an intentional step to collect a prayer request and say I'm going to pray daily. Okay, but now I might say to myself, I'm looking, he needs a change of thinking, all right? So I might go to my Bible, and I might think about where, somebody help me out now, Bible scholar in the room. Where might I find something in the Bible about a change of thinking? Anybody got something? He's got something because he's been thinking about it already. You got something? Anybody got something? It doesn't have to be specifically, but where might you get that? 
Maybe, okay, maybe in Proverbs. All right. So here's what you can do. If you, if you don't know the exact, do you know an actual verse? Anybody? Ron's a Proverbs expert. Ron, anybody? Change thinking? Okay. So yeah. if you do then, what? Okay. Yeah. Um, my favorite proverb. Okay. Is? 1531. Okay. He who listens to a life-giving review shall be at home among the Okay. So then what I've done is I've written that down. And I might write the whole verse out there, right? And I think, and when I'm deciding once a day to pray for Marcos about a change of thinking, I might think about Marcos both could hear from someone else. It would help him, right, have a change in his thinking. So somebody, you might hear a word from God, like a, a sermon or a comment that somebody makes or read a verse, whatever. It might be effective. And that he would be open to that. That a life-giving rebuke would come to him. So however God wants to bring it, and that he would adjust, and that he would therefore be wise. And I might just jot the verse down, or I might jot a little something from the verse down, like that phrase, a life giving review, right? Now every time I pray for Marcos, that's going to be on my paper, and it's going to come to my mind. Right? Now, I might collect other prayer requests from other people, or I might collect more prayer requests from him, or I might be led of the Lord as I'm praying for him to pray for something else. Right? And this is called spiritual warfare praying, is what this is. Because I'm guessing, brothers, if you've been praying for a change of mind for the last week or so, you know you need it. And yet you haven't had it. Right? So he's in he's in battle. He's in battle to get what he's praying for. And everybody else didn't even know it until he just shared it with us. See the value of that then? So now if you keep this list building and going, now here's the thing. I come back to you, we come back to church on Sunday, right? Instead of just talking about football or baking shows, which I enjoyed that conversation a great deal, we can now say, hey, Marcus, I just want to, I pray for you. And you don't have to say, I pray for you every day this week, because that might not be true. You know, you plan to pray daily every day. You might have missed a couple. Because I prayed for you multiple times this week. How's it going? How is that battle going? Right? Are you having that change of mind you were hoping for? And then, and you don't stop there. He says, you know what? I am. And then you say, okay, tell me about it. Right? And then when you come back here, you can now mark this. If you're satisfied with that conversation you have with him, you can mark this prayer request as answered. God is answering prayers all the time. And we don't even know it because we don't follow up. Because we don't trust him to do it. We just pray, throw it out there. Man, it's up to God. This is what God told me this week as I was praying on my deck. And I was going through the seats where people sit, praying for many people in church and, and so on. It's just Thursday afternoon. And I said to God, I said, God, when I'm praying about all these things, um, you know, I know you don't answer them all. You don't say yes to everything. But I feel like if I believe and I'm trusting you and I'm wanting this and I think it's what you want, I feel like you should say yes to them all. And I said, but... But then I figured, I may not know as well as you know God, so am I to assume that if I pray for this and you don't say yes, that it's your somehow your will that that thing persists? And I thought, but that doesn't seem like enough. And then it came to mind the scripture where Paul says, three times I prayed that the thorn of the flesh may be removed from me. Three times. He said, but, but then it came to me, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So I thought, well, it's certainly okay to pray three times. 
because Paul did it. That's a perfect example. So he prayed three times, and God said, finally said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then I thought, so do we? So should I make a discipline and say, I'm going to pray at least three times. You can say, X3, and pray three times, and then I'm going to check back with the person who gave me the request and see whether something happened. Now, if you just did that, imagine what you'd be a part of. Imagine what difference you could make in the world if you just did that. Just say, okay, I'm going to pray for you three times, and then I'll check back. Or you could say, I pray daily until it changes. Right? I submit to you, this happens to me. If you say you're going to pray daily about stuff until it changes, pretty soon you can be praying a lot more because you'll have a list that's 20, and then 40, and then 60. And you're like, but I'll fall asleep. And then you, I'll say, well, then you go ahead, fall asleep, wake up, and finish it when you're done. Okay? And I'll fall asleep again before it's done because it's such a long list. I submit to you, if you have a really long list, you pray, and then God answers, and then you can finally mark it off, you're going to say, yes, yes. And sometimes when you pray, God was already coming, he was already doing it, and you just don't know it. So that's, that's one way, just one way. Keep a list, get a request. If you go to somebody, I submit to you this. I say, if you go to somebody and you say to them, hey, what can I pray for you about? What have you been praying about this last week? What, what's in your life? What are you concerned about? Whatever. And they can't come up with any requests, then you already know your request. Your request is that they would wake up, they would care about the world around them, that they would share the gospel, meet people, and know people who need God, right? And that they would be able to really impact the kingdom. The truth is, if you don't realize that we are living in a lost and dying world and there are people, people really, really hurting and we need to be stepping up and doing something about it, then you may just be fooling yourself. It's, it's, it's pretty bad in the world right now. It's also pretty good. Okay? Alright, so I'm moving off the topic of prayer. We're going to have a brief time to share in case somebody came and was prepared. Do you have an inspirational moment? You feel like God touched your heart this week? Maybe during prayer or something else? Go ahead. Alright, nice and loud, we've got fans on today. So, it's kind of interesting because it ties into what we were talking about, yep. um, changing the state of thinking. And it's, um, it's a song there, and it says, Every day when you get up and think you'll never be great, you'll never be great. So, if you constantly tell yourself that, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it, or it's not, I'm not good enough for it, then that's how it's going to turn out. And it's, like I said, it's interesting because this is something I keep trying to tell my kids all the time. Because little kids are always afraid to fail because they're afraid of disappointment. And I've shared this in my youth lesson and the biggest thing that I keep telling them is you have to understand when you're doing it for God, there's no such thing as failure. And the reason is even if you set a goal and you don't get to that goal, you still learn things on the way. So you have to, it, it's not really failing as long as you're learning of what to do and what not to do. And like, some of the greatest things I've ever learned are from the mistakes I've made. So that's part of what helped me and my mental issues that I have is just, you know, don't be afraid to fail. You know? Truth is, I think that's pretty much what we're going to do. We're going to get up and fail, and get up and fail, and get up and fail. And so Jesus comes again or until we die. <laughs> Thank you for it. Now, that's not saying set yourself up for failure either. Prepare, work, do the necessary steps. Good stuff. You got a hand? Well, on the way here, I was listening to the radio on the other side. 1065 uh, has a lot of messages and reaching out. 
sermons and stuff. So I was listening to that on the way here, and it was like one of those little five minute blurbs between programs. Um, <laughs> the guy was given like a little inspirational moment, kind of like a devotional thing. And, you know, um, obviously it was under the gospel and you know, stuff like that. Well, and after his the word, there's like the spokesman guy who came on and was like giving you the information about wrapping things up. And he said that you know, talking about giving your life to Christ so that you can be free of the penalty of sin. And it didn't sit right with me. Like I knew he was talking about like, eternal things. Eternally, you will be free of your sin, and you will go to heaven and enjoy heaven and stuff, even though you're a sinner. However, that message here on the earth could be really mixed. Like, if you're a young believer or, or somebody who doesn't believe in Christ yet, and you hear that message, you could think, you could be mistaken that, hey, if I just give my life to Jesus, I can do whatever I want, because I'll be free of heaven and sin. It's just not true. A, a good father disciplines his children. Right. If you screw up and sin, you may be free of the eternal ramifications, meaning being left out of heaven. However, you're still going to receive some kind of discipline or punishment depending on you know, the situation. God knows all, sees all, is all. So uh, well, that's for him to figure out, but I know that if I sin here on here, there's going to be some kind of penalty or correction or whatever. Um, I just thought that there's a mixed message that they're sending in. Yeah, it's a good word. Kind of it's a good word. All right, anybody else? I was at the life station uh, yesterday. We were tearing up some old pile. And Dan Rose was there with me, and uh, we were beating ourselves up pretty good, sweating a lot. And I uh, scraped up the tile on the floor, and I had a funny thing happen. So I, was, I had a sharp, pretty sharp scraper, and I'm pushing it under the tile to pop the old tile up. And as, I, as I'm doing that, every almost every time I would do that, the tile was still sticky on the bottom, and it would stick to the scraper. And so I pushed it up, and I did tile stuck on the scraper, and I'd try to do this number, you know, or I'd scrape it off on the floor, and it would get stuck almost every time. And I and I said, Dan, I said, hey, that's pretty funny, and then his spirit was kind of sort of speaking in my heart, and so, you know, here's what's pretty funny about it, is that's how we are sometimes. When something comes along that tries to pull us away from God, instead of holding on to God like we should, we hold on to the something that's trying to pull us away from God. We want the minor benefits, the good feeling, the whatever that comes with that, and so we hold on to the something that's trying to pull us away from God. Rather than trying that adhesive that was there was not for holding on to the scraper, it was for holding on to the floor. And I, and I said, Dan, I said, you know what? I think that's an inspirational moment. I'm going to share that. So here's my encouragement to me, to us. When something comes along trying to drag you away from God, or drag you away from being who you're supposed to be in the Lord, don't hold on to that something, no matter how good it looks, whatever. Don't hold on to that something. But realize that fundamentally, it is not, it is not. Helping you stay connected to the Lord means it has no place in your life. Let go of it as fast as you possibly can, like a hot potato, and instead hang on to the Lord. Okay, we're going to pray and transition. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother 28, would you pray? And as you do so, would you lift up Marcos' prayer request for uh, changing things?
Jews chapter 3, where it says that uh, the wisdom of this world is divine and unpure, but then right after that, but the wisdom of God is first merciful and pure, full of good mercy and fruit. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that the wisdom of this world, or the opinions of the beliefs, because you are spirit, that you're not street, you're not good, you're not parts of his life, God, you truly are peace and purity. And because of that, you take a breath of fresh air, God, realizing that you have this. You're in control. You've always been on your throne. And you left your throne. Your son left the throne so that he could get off heart throne that was going to crush us. We were going to die eternally gone without you. We thank you for your sacrifice at the cross. But then it's full of good fruit and it's peaceful and it's mercy. So your wisdom, God, it comes from above. It also isn't just pure, but when it, when it comes to us, it is full of good fruit. And my brother Dan was saying that if we hold on to things of this world, it's not good fruit. It's not going to last. It, it, it tastes good for a little bit, but sooner or later it gets sour and it's done. But the fruit that we've been done, we went through God, or the fruit that God's given us, it lasts forever. God's praying for Marcos right now that a um, broken brother, as well as I know it's like to be broken. I've always said to God that there's no one that has truly been broken more than me. That you righteously suffered at the cross. We all have unrighteously or self-righteously suffered at some kind of cross, some kind of opposition. That you bared it, died, and rose again. You no longer will be broken again. You are victorious over every Christian. You're victorious every every child of God. You're victorious over all the churches, but the church. We thank you for your great victory over everyone today. For strength, grace, and encouragement. God, as we lift these up, not only do you hear us, but when you do answer, there's no regret. You answer, and it's done. We thank you when you answer these prayers just the way that you can be done. In Jesus' name.
This says it E people one. I'm playing it E, it's not working.
Praise the Lord. <laughs> now for the fun part for me. I love worship. I really do. And our church is very blessed to have musicians and instruments and like that. Uh, but by the time I stand before you on Sunday mornings, I have already been st sternly convicted of my sin or my failure. And I've already repented and adjusted to the word I'm about to share. And so by the time I get up here, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, let's, let's live it. I'm ready. All right. So as you know, we've been working through the book of Deuteronomy. So we'll get this out of the way right away. Uh, maybe say an amen, give me a hoot, a holler, or a shout as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Thank you very much. This is God's Word. Uh, from here on out, as we read Deuteronomy chapter 4, it will be Him speaking. So uh, unless I read it wrong, which that's why you're supposed to follow along your Bibles or know the Word, so you can catch me if I make a mistake. Unless I read it wrong, it will be the inspired Word of God that we hear from uh, as we read today, and our text for the day will be Deuteronomy 4, 21 through 40, and then we'll use a couple of other supporting texts, so don't put your Bible away as soon as we get to 40. Do you know what a consumable is? A consumable is something that you can use up. It can be consumed. Uh, most consumables, uh, for us, represent things like uh, foods, uh, gasoline, you know, things that you use uh, and you can run out. And the idea is that we produce then financially to be able to purchase additional consumables. Americans, uh, really uh, humans, the world over are consumers. That's what we do. We are part of the greater food chain. Now because of that, uh, people can eat just about every other animal on the face of the earth and that makes that animal a consumable by us. Um, some things that people eat, maybe they shouldn't. Uh, and I, by that I mean like live animals and things like that. Maybe they shouldn't be doing. I know if you eat a, squid, a live squid backwards, it'll kill you. Um, and people eat it just because they feel like they're tempting death or whatever. I don't think we should be doing that necessarily. But the bottom line is uh, we have all kinds of consumables. And a lot of our life is sustaining or keeping enough of those consumables. Okay. Now, I want you to bear that in mind then and think about consumables, and I'll come back and mention it again later as we read from this text. And as I said, we are in Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 21. We left off with 20 last week. Okay. 21 says, Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, I will say to you, I, I hadn't planned on preaching this message today that I'm about to preach, um, but midweek we changed because there was a change in my schedule for next week, and so RJ and I swapped, and I think he kind of got the, the worst end of the deal because I am really, in, really enjoyed preparing for this sermon. But as I read this one verse, I thought, man, this, this verse just irritates me. I, there's something that rubs me the wrong way about it. Now, if you know the story, you know that Moses essentially sinned against God, uh, at Meribah, he, he was told by God to go and speak to the rock and provide water for the Israelites. And I'm going to just summarize the story, so don't hold me to scriptural accuracy exactly or whatever. But um, basically, instead of doing that, he chastised the Israelites, shouted at the rock, and battered it with his stick, and it broke open and water did flow. 
But he said to the Israelites, must I, must I give you water out of this rock again? You're complaining you don't have enough water. And so because he didn't do it the way that God wanted to do it, immediately after that event, God told him, you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. From then on, God said, you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. And so here, Moses is saying, the Lord was angry with me on your account, meaning it was your fault, or that's where I initially took it to be, and I think that's what most people reading this verse would think. He was angry with me on your account and swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now that's the third time in four chapters that he said that. He's very upset about this, that he doesn't get to go into the promised land, and I would be too. I, I think you would be too. He's literally slaved away as a leader of Israel on behalf of God. He faced Pharaoh and went through all the plagues and the, the Red Sea and the column of fire and the column of cloud. And, I mean, everything. Right? He went up there, got the Ten Commandments, came down frustrated there in idolatry, breaks them, goes up, gets another set. He's done all of that and now he's not going to be allowed to go in the promised land. And you know, I'd be frustrated with that too, wouldn't you? Then I got to thinking, I'm like, what is actually going, what is he talking about? Does he, is he actually blaming the Israelites? Because if he is, he's wrong. It's not their fault. If he had just done what God told him, he would have been allowed to go in. And this is what I discovered. And the Spirit said to me, now you take it for what it's worth because it's not written in Scripture. It does not, he does not say that I'm not allowed to go into the promised land because of you. That's not what he says. He says, I'm not allowed to go in the promised land for your account. In other words, for some benefit for you, if, if you understand what I'm saying. In other words, God was showing the Israelites that no, even Moses, leader who'd been through all of that, holiest, the only one who could stop God from wiping out the Israelites that day when God had decided to do so, and he did, he begged God not to, and God relented, that Moses would not be allowed to go into the promised land, even though he was probably the holiest of all of them, and the, and the most deserving of all of them, and whatnot. He was not going to be allowed to go into the promised land, and Moses is pointing out that that's for their account. There's something that they're supposed to learn. There's something they're supposed to benefit out of the fact that he's not allowed to go in the promised land now after everything that he went through. Now that ties in then with what we're about to read. So understand that he is not, he's being not allowed to go in the promised land because of what he did wrong, but he realizes that that exchange, that he did something wrong and he's not allowed to go in, that exchange is for their value. They're going to get something out of it. There is a benefit, something for them to see. And you can kind of in your mind already think what that might be. Verse 22, he says, For or because I shall die in this land, I shall not cross the Jordan, but you shall cross and take possession of this good land. So watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. So basically he's saying, don't make and worship idols when you get in the land. And he's connecting that back to the fact that he's not allowed to go in, but they are. So there's a connection there. And then he says, a classic verse, verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So we get that trait of God that he is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In other words, if you go in there and you make these idols, you're going to pay for it. If you worship something other than God, you're going to pay for it. God is not going to sit by and do nothing because he is a consuming God, a jealous God. And you can see how that relates back to Moses not being allowed to go in the promised land because Moses did not do what God told him to do on that particular day. Because God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, if, maybe if you're a Bible scholar, if you like to read your Bible, and think that phrase might trigger in your head some thoughts because it occurs elsewhere in Scripture. And we'll come back to that. Okay, Verse 25. When you become the father of children, 
and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you shall surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. So he's saying, because our God is a consuming fire, you will lose everything that God is blessing you with. The value of it, and even, as we're about to see, be taken out of the land. It says, then, you shall not live long in it, but shall be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you shall be left few in number among the nations where the Lord shall drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So in other words, they w- when they offend God, become idol worshippers, start thinking other things are valuable other than God, God will respond. He will punish them. Now, notice in the first part, Moses was saying, don't do this. Don't get into idolatry. Don't do it. Don't let anything else be important to you. Don't let get into idolatry. And then here he's saying, but when it happens a couple generations down the road and you do get into idolatry, realize God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God and he will take from you the value of everything that he has blessed you with. And here it even says he will scatter their nation among other peoples and they'll, be, they'll wind up being few in number compared to these other nations and they will be forced to serve their gods who are just like little statues and things and, and statues in the temple and, and whatever. They'll force to f- serve them even though those things don't see or hear or eat or smell like our God does, 29. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and all your soul. Does that verse sound familiar to anybody? It is not the verse that we memorized in Vacation Bible School. And yet, it is the verse that we memorized in Vacation Bible School, isn't it? Because Isaiah will quote it again later, saying the same thing in the midst of them getting into following and thinking other things are important and getting into idolatry, right? And he is saying that you're going to get called away into slavery. You're going to go again. You're going to lose everything God has blessed you with. And then as you do that, God's going to call you back to himself. And this is the promise. From there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Then verse 30. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. So he's saying that this people, after all that they have to go through because they choose to get into idolatry, that they still will return to God. They will recognize that really only God is God. In fact, what happens in the life of Israel, they go into the scattering, what they call the diaspora. They get scattered amongst all the nations. And that finally puts an end to their idolatry. It finally puts an end to other things becoming important. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. In other words, when you, you will find Him as you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. God is a compassionate God, even though He is consuming and jealous. He's a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which He swore to them. Indeed, Ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. So look at everything that has happened in the past and everything that's on the earth today. Has anything been done like this great thing? Or has anything been heard like it? So this is what's happened today in 2022 in the world. People, the gospel has become so commonplace. 
so simplified, right? That like Ron was saying in the inspirational moment, we can dumb it down to, if you trust in Jesus, you won't pay a penalty for your sin. But that's not an accurate representation of the gospel. It's not enough to do that. It's, it's only a part, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, has anything been heard like this truth? And what is the truth? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God, any false God ever, tried to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Has, has that ever happened? Anywhere? Ever? To you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God. There is no other besides Him. So where it says to you, that's Mike, Tony, Marcos, Ron, right? It's all of us. It has been shown that we might know that the Lord, He is God. There is no other besides Him. So you can try to make other things out too important. You can try to worship something else or serve something else. But the reality is they have some staying power because they're consumables and you may continue to want them. But the reality is they are worthless. They are not God. He says, out of the heavens, He lets you hear His voice to discipline you. And on earth, He lets you see His great fire. And you heard His words from the midst of the fire. 37, four verses left. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. 39. Now therefore today, I'm sorry, know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So you shall keep His statutes and His commandments which I am giving you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. We'll stop there. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, at this moment in time, is hurting because he's going to die. He's not going to get to go into the promised land. But he is trying to bring together an understanding of why it is, how it is, that we all come to be in this place. How do we get to go? We're on the border of the promised land. Finally get to go in. Failed the first time. 40 plus years to the desert. Blah, blah, blah. Now we finally get to go in. Alright? So he discovers this. Number one. God was doing something. You follow? God was doing something. God was about to send them into the promised land to give them the lands of an unfaithful, ungodly people, which he had ordered the Israelites to wipe out man, woman, and child. Anybody that doesn't run, kill them. Because that society has now reached a level of wretchedness and wickedness that there is nothing left to do but destroy them. Now that's baffling to us. That's hard for us to accept. Man, woman, and child. There's a four-year-old. Done nothing wrong, except for maybe you know kicking his mommy's belly... Uh, resist potty training, punch his sister in the eye over a piece of bread, right? Uh, break his toys, fail to clean up his room, whatever. And the Israelites are going to come in there, and if if something doesn't happen, if they're not miraculously saved, or they're not 
moved away from the land, they don't run, and many of them did, that four-year-old child is going to be killed with a sword. And it's hard for us to fathom that. Like, how can that be? Moses was thinking the same thing. Let's be very realistic. We're like, oh, Moses is very judgmental. He knew God's heart. He knew the way it is. I, he got it, right? No. Moses was a human being, right? Moses was a guy who probably had little kids bouncing on his knee at some point in time. Had tons of grandkids, right? And others that lived around him that had kids, nieces and nephews and whatever. And he loved to see the little kids looking to God just as much as he did the adults. And to think he's going to go in, and, and you would think, there's a pregnant woman. you telling me the child inside the pregnant woman in the promised land is guilty of the sin of the nation? Moses is saying, this is why. This is how. We're going to work this out right now. I'm going to understand. You're going to understand. If you just listen, you can figure out how it could be that that society can arrive at a point that wretchedness and filth is so predominant that destroying the man, woman, child, and unborn child is the only possible result. It's the only way it can be settled. Not only that, he's saying that that same wrath of God that would be visited against that people destroying the, now remind, let's, let's remind ourselves that God did keep the Israelites in imprisonment for 430 years while that society was raising to this level of wickedness and decadence and wretchedness that all that was left was for them to be destroyed. Okay, So, they, so God put it off for over four centuries while they continued to burn their firstborn children alive in the fires to Molech. Okay? While they continued to go every midweek at every festival and every full moon and whatever down to the temple prostitutes to sleep with the women in the temple in order to get the false gods that they worship to bring the rain. Right? So God put that off for over 400 years. But now they've reached a point of wretchedness. Moses says, God is doing something and we have to figure this out. We have to make this line up so that it can make sense. Because otherwise a compassionate God, shouldn't he be sending us in there as evangelists? instead of as warriors to destroy this society? And then on top of that, shouldn't God have compassion on me, His faithful servant, all that I have done, and I should be allowed to go in? Even though, yes, I didn't do what He told me to do. Even though, yes, I got angry at Him and at His people, and I struck the rock instead of speaking to it, and I chastised them instead of testifying on behalf of God. Even though I did that, shouldn't God have compassion on me? But there was no compassion to be found. I'm not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. The problem was this. God is a consuming fire. God is a jealous fire. He is jealous for the breath that He put in you as He brought Adam to life. He is not pleased with the way man, men and women across the world, not everybody necessarily at any given moment, thank God it's not everybody at any given moment because that would probably be the end of it right there, but people across the world have misused the resources that God has given them. So if God is a consuming fire and He is jealous for the breath that's being used by man and He's provided it for your lifetime sufficient... And if God's people have imperfections, right? They're a stiff-necked people, so much so that he says, don't do this. Don't worship idols. Don't have any other gods. Don't let anything else be important like God. Don't serve anyone or anything else other than God, right? He says, and then in the very next paragraph, he says, but when you're in the land and your grandchildren are growing up and you're doing this, you're worshiping God, know that God will punish you and he will discipline you. That's the imperfections. And so if God is a consuming fire and a jealous God, 
and God's people have imperfections, then we have a problem. Because God is going to consume them. Right? When they didn't go in the promised land the first time, God said, now I will not go up with you. Don't go now, because I won't go up with you now because you've been unfaithful. When they were walking in the desert, right? One tribe always had to walk surrounding the tabernacle to keep the wrath of God from pouring out on the rest of the tribes. Do you remember what tribe by any chance? Anybody? The Levites, right? The priests. So they walked surrounding the tabernacle so that God's wrath would not pour out of God's holy place and it was broken down and it was poles and wrapped up cloth and the Ark of the Covenant was there. But as it, as it traveled, the Levites had to surround it so that the rest of the people would not be destroyed by God's consuming fire. You see the, the, the problem here? God's consuming fire and the imperfections of His people. This is the problem that the angels have. They're like, how can this mesh? How can this ever line up? They long to look into this mystery that God, who is a holy God, a wrathful God, a consuming fire, and jealous over His people and over what He's instilled in His people, how can it make sense that God is going to allow them, the people, to rule over God's creation. You see? So much so that according to historical doctrines of demons and theology, Satan, who was an angel, or Lucifer for sure was an angel, fell because he just couldn't get it. I don't understand. God is just wrong. How can man be allowed to persist and rule the earth when God is a consuming fire and righteous and just? So apparently, God is not then a consuming fire and righteous and just and jealous. That's who we always thought he was. Well, I'm not going to stand for that. Right? Whether or not that doctrine of demons really holds true, the bottom line is we know Scripture says that the angels looked into this. They desire to look. They longed to understand the truth of how it could be that the consuming fire of our God would not, frankly, consume God's people in their imperfections. And this problem persists. Turn with me to Isaiah 33. Going to the right in the big prophet section. Right before Jeremiah, which you'll probably run into first because he's a, he's always seems to pop up sooner in my Bible. Alright? Isaiah 33 is where we're going. Alright? And I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Listen to Isaiah. Now mind you, this is thousands of years later, or 8,000 plus years later, right? 33.10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like a fire. This is being said to the Israelites, to God's people in the promised land after all that they did, never truly reaching the full size that they were supposed to. But there it is. This is being said to the Israelites. My breath will consume you like a fire. And then verse 12. And the peoples will be burned to lime like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. You who are far away, hear what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? 
He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity. This is the answer to his question. He says, who among us can live with a consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? And then he answers the question this way. He says, he who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity. He who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. This problem persisted. This, this conflict between the fact that God is a consuming fire and His people have imperfections. And here it says, God says, I will now be exalted. He says, you who are far away, hear what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with the continual burning? And then he sets that pattern at the end about righteous works, not not being part of unjust gain, not getting ahead in an unjust way, not taking a bribe, not looking at bloodshed. That's a real problem for the rated R movie watchers who like to just see people destroy each other and go, oh, it's not real, whatever, right? Our ears being turned from bloodshed, shutting his eyes from looking upon evil. But that person will dwell on the heights. That person's refuge will be the impregnable rock. That person, his bread will be given him and his water will be sure. So even in Isaiah's day, this problem persisted. The consuming fire versus the imperfections of men. And then you get to the New Testament in case you think, well, but now we live in grace. Right? So now, Jesus has come. He's lived. He's died. He rose again to save everyone. And so because He had, God is no longer consuming fire. God's not going to wipe anybody out anymore. God's not going to come into the world with judgment or wrath. Wrath is opposition, not anger. Right? Coming with wrath. It's not going to be like that anymore. But if you go then into Hebrews chapter 10, if you follow along in your Bible, please do. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. You'll find it back there uh, right in front of James. Hebrews 10. And we'll read the first part where he references this problem and sort of begins to propose a solution. Hebrews 10. And we'll start in 19. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, talking about Abraham, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding... I'm reading the wrong chapter. Hold on. My fault. I do that. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he's going to say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day in drawing near. Now it's going to get into why. For, because, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. See, the problem still persists. God is a consuming fire. He is jealous for that which he has entrusted to us. This is no joke. This is a real thing. The gospel that, per, that goes against God's wrath or judgment against people who take what he has given them, which would include eternal life, and spit on it or trample on it, that's no gospel at all. Because it doesn't even know who God is. From the beginning of creation, God was a consuming fire. God is a jealous God. He has given you the breath of life. And he expects that you will use it accordingly. I'll go back to the beginning of 26 just so we make sure we get the full thought. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now that doesn't happen today, by the way, but they did then. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 32 says, But remember the former days, when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. In other words, it was going really bad for the church for a while. Remember how it was, and you stayed the course? even helping those, as he says in 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. 37, for yet in the very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. See, the same problem of God being a consuming fire and a jealous God exists all the way to July 17th, 2022. Moses recognized it and the evidence of it in his day was the fact that they were being called to go in and wipe out an entire society down to the smallest unborn child. God had given them plenty of time to repent. He had given them plenty of reasons to recognize His glory. Plenty of reasons to recognize the gifts that He had given them. They were living literally in the lands of milk and honey. When the scouts went in in the first place, they saw grapes that were so large. We now know that even today, some of the lands in question yield as much as four times, or some people say in the lands getting up closer to Mesopotamia, the crops of those fields are 16 times. The same amount of seed corn will produce 16 times the yield in a, in a field there near Mesopotamia. The bottom line is, this was a great land that God had blessed them with, and in it, they had chosen to become a people that burned their firstborn children in the fire, a people that will not follow God, a people that will worship bits of stone and gold or clever craftsmanship, 
relationship, a people that will go and sow their seed in the temple to bring about the rain. Not with their wife, but with prostitutes over and over and over again. A people that have got into decadence and used their bodies in every incorrect way. Moses says, I see the problem. God is doing something. Instead of man worshiping God, recognizing God, glorifying God, submitting to God, repenting and turning to God and God alone, man takes the blessings of God and turns them out for what he wants. Tries to make out of it what he wants. What will make him feel good. He consumes those blessings, but does not deliver worship to God. The problem was, God is doing something. He is a consuming fire and there are imperfections in God's people traced all the way back to the fall. So any angel might look and say, well then why doesn't God just destroy them all and in the blink of an eye, just as he can, create again? And in Noah's day, he did. He literally wiped out every man, woman, and child and every unborn child himself. Didn't send an army. Didn't send a fire, didn't send a plague. He flooded the earth and destroyed... Now you're trying to tell me that that is not evidence that our God is a consuming fire? That our God is jealous for that which He has entrusted to man? Yes, our God is that, as was seen clearly in Noah's day. But our God is also a God of compassion. And with this great problem, He has made a way out. Now, before you say that way out is Jesus. Jesus paid for all our sins, and so now nobody's going to have to pay. That's not the solution. That is a solution to a very real problem in the fact that it, you could not have your sins forgiven, have eternal life with God, be born again, if it were not for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that is true. But out of that sacrifice arises in us something that we need to recognize and do something about. The transition looks like this. If you're following along in your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 happens to be one of those passages in the Scripture that I have probably studied at length more than any other. I studied it in Bible college, again in seminary, and did the first ten verses. At one point in time, I had it word-perfect memorized from the NIV. I no longer have that, but I love this passage of Scripture, and it speaks in the first seven verses, before it really gets into the solution, it speaks in the first seven verses of this problem that we're talking about. He says, and you, that's me, that's Ron, that's Marcos, that's Kishan, that's Jamie, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were under condemnation. You were destined to spend eternity in the consuming fire, away from but and never consumed by God, but rather consumed eternally by that fire. Now the prince of power of the air, presumably talking about Satan, he is now working in the sons of disobedience. The spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience is that same one that we had. We were like that. And it says in verse 3, Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We were consumers. We went after one thing, after another. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. That means we were facing the opposition Wrath is opposition. We were the children subject to the opposition of God, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved 
and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God, through Jesus, changed our eternal outcome. Right? However, the author of Hebrews has already made it clear that then God, a consuming fire, a jealous God, can readily expect a proper response to that gift. You are no longer to die as a human if you are a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, no longer to die as a human and go to hell for eternity, but now you're going to go to heaven. In fact, your seat there is already being prepared for you. Your mansion already being built. Whatever all those words means, it's all taken care of. However, you are responsible for how you respond now to that action, to what God did there. He ultimately will show the great riches of His grace. But in the meantime, having received them, you must respond accordingly. And the author of Hebrews then clearly shows us in chapter 12, one of our, which I think is our last set of verses for the day. Yes, it is. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, how that goes down. So flip to chapter 12, verse 14, if you're following along. And he says this, he says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification, that means the being made holy, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. In other words, if you're in the church, you're in the kingdom, you're serving God, and you start to have a little problem, don't let that little problem become something that blows up. Don't say, well, I'm church hurt, and run away from what you're supposed to be doing. You do what you're supposed to be doing, which is which is about to be told to us. In verse 16 it says, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now listen, that means that if we do those things in the first part of what I just read, which is allow a root of bitterness to spring up and cause trouble, be defiled means unclean, not useful to God. That it is entire pos entirely possible that we will arrive at the place at which there is no repentance for what we have done. Just like Esau. You follow? Doesn't say you won't be saved, but there's no turning back to God and getting the kingdom of God rolling again in your life on the earth. It's possible. Okay? A little bit further. Verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that has that may be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. Remember, that's what they saw. That's what Moses was appealing to them. Look, you saw this. You know he's a consuming fire. You personally saw him. But he says, but you, we didn't do that. We didn't come that way. And to blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. See, when God spoke to them, they said, oh, please, no more. We can't take it. Right? For they could see their imperfections. They could feel His consuming fire. They, were, they felt like they were about to be consumed. Verse 20. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Get that. Moses said, Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Because he realized his own imperfections. 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, 
and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turned away from Him who warns from heaven. And His voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, of created things. Listen to this. Yet once more denotes the removal of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, in order that those things which can be shaken, may, cannot be shaken, may remain. In other words, we've got to choose the not able to be shaken stuff, because that will remain. And the stuff that's able to be shaken, you've got to let it go, because God is going to shake it, but God is going to consume it. He's going to destroy it. Two verses left. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us, wait for it, show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And, what does it say? For our God is a consuming fire. It all connects from the beginning with Adam and Eve to present day, our date. God at Consuming Fire has now shown us everything that we need to know to respond to Him appropriately to avoid being consumed. In fact, Paul would elsewhere explain that this is the Gospel mystery explained that you now no longer have to face the consuming fire of God against your imperfections. This is how you do it. Obviously, you have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You must admit that you have sinned, and because of that sin, you are distanced from God. That, that The wages of that sin is your distance from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus becomes your master in your life, when Jesus is your leader in your life, then He paid the price for your sins. That's where it starts. That's ingredient one. And then every day of your life after that moment in time is ingredient two. Spent this way in gratitude. You're spending the hours of your day on something that you enjoy. If you're not using that something that you enjoy to bring glory to the One who died on the cross for you, then you are not spending your time in gratitude. You're not grateful for what you have received. There's so many people out there like, oh, God will forgive it anyway. I'm going to heaven when I die because I accepted Jesus Christ. I know I am going to heaven. I absolutely know. We, do you know where you'll go if you die today? Yep, I absolutely know where I'll go if I die today. Okay, are you living accordingly? Well, what does that mean? Well, are you living in gratitude to the One who paid your way? Do you get out of bed in the morning and go, how can I thank Jesus today for saving my eternal soul? Are you living in gratitude? Through that gratitude, we can come up with an acceptable service. We can find a way that we can serve our Lord, serve our God, and do what God would have us to do. If there's no gratitude, no amount of service you do will be acceptable to the Lord. In other words, if you fix it, if you go the distance, if you give your money, if you blood, sweat, and tears, and you don't do it out of gratitude toward God, your service will not be found as acceptable. It would not before you got saved, and now that you are stepping on Jesus, spitting in His face, and dismissing His sacrifice, it will not be found acceptable now either, because our God is a consuming fire, and He is jealous for the investment that He has placed it in you and in your life, and He desires you to show Him the very basic, simple, polite gratitude. 
So express your gratitude all the time, everywhere, and everything you're going through because it is an eternity that we need to be grateful for. It is a payment that we could not pay that we need to be grateful for. And that will allow you to find a service that is acceptable to our God. And you will be able to live in reverence. You will love Him. I love Him for what He's done for me. Every time I screw up, it breaks my heart because I'm like, oh God, but I love you. Right? My little daughter comes up to me and she says, I love you. And she's got this routine at bedtime. She's like, I love you. Sleep good, dad. Blow me kisses. Give me a hug. Kiss on the cheek. And a little bit more. Can I get a cup of water? A little bit more. I love you. Right? She loves me. That's great. And then when she does something wrong and I'm correcting her, I can see in her face that she is stricken. She is sad that I'm, she's, that I'm upset. The other day I was explaining to her that she didn't, wasn't allowed, one, she, sometimes she's not allowed to have dessert because she gets in trouble. We don't want to make, you know, it a reward, but like getting up close to dinner time, whatever, she'll do something. Maybe she didn't do what she was supposed to do. We're like, okay, we're just going to skip dessert because clearly you're having trouble with self-control. We don't need to get into that. So and we don't say it's the dessert is a reward, but we say, oh, we're going to skip dessert today. And she said, you know, a few weeks ago when I had to skip dessert, she said, I wasn't upset that I didn't get a dessert. She said, no, I'm going to get a dessert the next day. I'll get a dessert every day. It's no problem. She said, what I was really upset for was that it was taken away from me because I screwed up. See, it changes the way you think about your sin. Stop thinking about your sin as hoping God's not going to punish you for it. Stop thinking about your sin as like, oh, screwed up again. God's going to forgive it anyway and claiming grace. And start thinking about the fact that your sin is spitting in the face of the man, the being, the God, the universe, the Holy Spirit, God as a consuming fire and jealousy. You're spitting in His face. You ever met a really bad God you definitely don't want to tussle with? Did you run up and spit in his face? Listen to me. My God, your God, our God is a really big guy that you don't want to mess with. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than a thousand yous. He's bigger than a million yous. He's bigger than any you that ever lived as soon as Adam was born. And from then on, everybody that ever lived, God's bigger than that. And he's a consuming fire and he's a jealous God. And quite frankly, he would have every reason to choose to be angry with you, but he's slow to anger and compassionate. He's not angry with you. But he is wrathful toward the things that we're choosing to do. He is a consuming fire and he will consume those things. You can fear him and you can love him and you can have an acceptable service to him and you can express gratitude to him and that's kind of like the key way that you get to your acceptable service and your reverence. And then finally, if you're smart, you can hold him in awe. He is the God of the universe who could create again all of it again. He could throw a whole new selection of an infinite number of stars into the sky tomorrow if he chose to. He could wipe out the entire earth and create another one from nothing. Not remake it, but he chooses to remake it into the new heavens and the new earth where those who follow him will exist for eternity. Our God is a consuming fire and the proper response to His saving us is nothing less than gratitude and acceptable service, fear and love of Him and awe. That's the solution. That's how you do it. You get saved through Jesus and then you live in gratitude, acceptable service, reverence and awe because of what He's done for you and thereby not get destroyed, thereby not get consumed, thereby not face the wrath of the Lord. That brings us to our conclusion. Godly living to the best of our knowledge and ability every day as we are grateful to God.
acceptable service. Figure out what it is that you can do for the Lord. What it is that God could use you for. What it is that you could say. What it is that you could be. How you could work. Do that. Whatever it is. Willingly accept God's discipline. The next time God is correcting you because you did something wrong. The next time you read His Word and happen to land on a passage of Scripture that tells you specifically what you did wrong and why you shouldn't have done it. Willingly accept God's discipline. The next time your finances, your relationships, your job, whatever, fall apart. Go, okay God. What did I do wrong? God shows you, oh, this is what I did wrong. I'm sorry. I repent. I turn to you, Lord. I willingly accept your discipline. I am grateful that this discipline that I will accept in this lifetime does not last for an eternity because Jesus took care of that. But I am your son or your daughter and I willingly accept your discipline. Stay the course and together as a church. We are the people of God. Listen, I get it. You could come in here if you wanted to right now. As soon as you get to know somebody, you go, I don't like that guy because of X. Everybody in this room you could do that with. You will find a reason not to like them. Find a reason to be distant. You go to another church, you'll do it again. You can find a reason not to like me because of the sermon I'm preaching today. We're all imperfect. I'm a screw-up. I'll guarantee you there are mistakes in this sermon. The part that I will guarantee you is not a mistake is the fact that our God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. I know that because Moses said it multiple times. Moses lived it, was not even allowed to go into the promised land because of it, even though I would love to be a guy like him. But he wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land because of it. And then he explained it as best he understood it in his day. That's what we read. Then Isaiah, a thousand years later, did it again. And then the writer of Hebrews, a thousand years later, did it again. It's always been this way. And we've got to accept that fact instead of continually denying it. Get together as a church and stand up with imperfect people. You can be like an angel if you want to be. You can look around and say, well, I don't think God should spare them because they're too loud, they're too not nice, they look a certain way, they act a certain way, they don't do what I think they should do, they're not disciplined, they're not strong, they're not smart, they're not capable, whatever, they said this thing I didn't like, they hurt me, they talked about me. You can do that all day long and find the imperfections of people. But that's not what you're called to. You're called to live a life of gratitude under a holy God who is a consuming fire and a jealous. God. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing that, finding the imperfections of other Christians, you need to understand that our God invested just as much in them as He did in you. And so you're doubling the wrath because now you're attacking somebody who is just as much made in the image of God, who's just as much filled with the Holy Spirit, just as much screwed up. Yes, I get that. But you're attacking that person who has been given everything, a seat in heaven. They've got a throne there waiting for them, a chair waiting for them to come and sit. It's got their name on it. You look at Mike and you go, I don't like Mike because he does this. You look at Lynn and say, I don't like Lynn because she does that. That bothers me. I'm going to withdraw from fellowship from them. You be mighty careful because you're going to get to heaven one day and you're going to have to fellowship with that person that you didn't like because they were imperfect on the earth. You're living the very same role that Satan and the demons live every day. Looking at people who are imperfect and saying, I don't like that. That's not your job. If there's anything you're not to like, it's the way you don't express gratitude to God. And you fix that. Because that consuming fire is coming. And it's going to burn that stuff away. And it's going to hurt like a doozy. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, whoever builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ with anything that can be burned away, it will be burned away. It will be consumed by that consuming fire. It will be destroyed by that jealous God. That's the great glory of it. You will make it in. If you've accepted Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you will make it in. You may not get the kingdom of God on this earth or follow the Lord and be blessed as you would be blessed. You may not get to enjoy the blessings as He pulls them one by one out of your life because you wouldn't be grateful for what you were handed. That very same fire though, that rightly scares us 
will once and for all destroy that sin which so easily ensnares us. Shall I say that again? That very same fire that rightly scares us will once and for all destroy that sin which so easily ensnares us. Even in that moment, as we will still be making every attempt, if we love the Lord, to dismiss that sin and be rid of it, be rid of it and follow the Lord the way we're supposed to, then His righteous holiness will come in and destroy that sin once and for all, and you will go into heaven for an eternity. But should we be collecting them in the meantime? Should we be stapling them to ourselves? Should we be gathering things of value and worship in this lifetime? Should we be enjoying this life and going, well, i got to go after that now because I enjoy it. I need a little more. I need a little more. I really want to do that. Every time you think to yourself, I feel like I want to do that again, I want you to understand that that, that, that thing that makes you think you want to do it again, that was given to you as a gift by God. And if you would say to yourself, I want to go watch a movie again, or play a game again, or eat a steak again, or go with my family somewhere again. If you would do that without first exhibiting gratitude toward God, then that thing has become an idol in your life, at least in that moment. Live in gratitude. Find acceptable service. Revere, which means love and fear the Lord and hold Him in awe because He is an all-consuming fire. And here's the bottom line. If you cannot be grateful to God for what you're experiencing, and if it cannot foster in you an acceptable service, and if it cannot lead you to reverence and awe of the Lord, then cut it out. Be done with it once and for all. It does not belong in your life. If on the other hand, you can be grateful to God for it, and you can use it to serve Him in some way, and you can recognize it as a gift from Him, having been saved for an eternity then it can stay. Then it can stay. And the problem is, instead of us being a people where we are going around asking what can stay and what's got to go, we're just becoming a people that just wants more to stay. We just want more. Bigger, better, shinier, more of it, store it, keep it, collect it, watch it, enjoy it, just more. Like the world-consuming consumables, Christians who need to say, with everything that comes, should it stay or should it go? We instead just say, no more of that. That tasted good. That felt good. That looked good. I want more of that. But just understand that as you do that in the world, basically, you're drinking gasoline a consumable that once exposed to God's consuming fire, it will light you up. And for a moment, you'll burn very brightly. And then it'll all be gone. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will still make it in. As if through fire. That's what the scripture says. I want to live I really do want to live under the auspices of a God who is a consuming fire, who is jealous. He is not only jealous for what He gave me, but He is jealous for me. So much so that He is my protection, my keeper. He is the one who will hide me out in an impregnable fortress and keep me safe. If I would just choose to exhibit gratitude, acceptable service, reverence and awe toward Him, 
after, of course, having accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, that means he tells me what to do when I do it, and my Savior, that means he paid the price for my sins. Will you cry out to God today? Internally, you don't have to go, oh God, where are you sitting? If you don't want to. But will you internally say to God, God, I want to be your servant. I don't want to keep adding things on to me. I don't want to keep enjoying things and stacking them one after another and finding ways to have more. Rather, I will ask of the things that come into my life, do they belong or do they not? And I will get up in the morning and I will try to live a life of gratitude toward you because you did this for me. You did for me what I couldn't do. Has it ever been seen? Has there ever been a God like this? Who claimed for himself a people who paid such a high price to claim for himself a people that out of all the nations, all those who believe and receive Christ could, all, could have a permanent seat in heaven and on top of that, live on this earth as his people? Has that ever been done? There is no other God. Why do people get tangled up in money and it stays for so long? Because money is the transfer currency, right? It's how you get the other consumables. Why do people get wrapped up in food and they eat too much and their arteries get clogged and they get overweight and all these kinds of things? Because it's consumable. And every time you eat, it tastes good. Let's be realistic. And it feeds you so you can do what you need to do. Why do people get wrapped up and staying too late and involving themselves in shows or games or whatever at night? Because it's enjoyable. Right? A lot of people get out of bed in the morning, dead dog tired, can't go do what they're supposed to do. And they're not tired because they served the Lord faithfully the previous day. They're tired because they spent the resources of the Lord aggressively the previous day. Repent and turn to God because He is a consuming fire and a jealous God. And there would be no way to be saved because of our imperfections. But because of it, Jesus went. Oh, and by the way, Moses is our example having, right, not been allowed to go to the promised land. Who else faced the wrath of God? Jesus. Can you not see? He is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Somebody had to pay. And so Jesus came in flesh and he paid. Jesus braved the consuming fire. Jesus faced the jealous God. And God essentially sort of turned away from him. And he died a sinner's death. So it's been painful. That's how your eternity was sealed. Are you not grateful? As the praise people come forward and meet us in our closing hymn at this time, but this is your opportunity to really ask yourself, what is the Lord saying to me? What part of my life am I adding things in and consuming things that are not honoring God? And it could be anything. And, and by the way, these are not bad things, mostly. I and mean, if you're sleeping around, that's a bad thing. You should stop. <laughs> You're indulging in pornography. That's a bad thing. You should stop. But the bottom line is, food's not bad. Money's not bad. Job's not bad. Movies aren't bad. Games aren't bad. It's not as bad. It's not bad stuff. It's good stuff. Misused, overused, consumed, good stuff. So when you decide, well, where in my life is this happening? And repent and turn to the Lord and get it under control. Can you do that? Because our God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He wants you so bad that Jesus came in the flesh and died on the cross for you. He wants the days of your life so bad that Jesus will die and be crushed and destroyed. Never have a sin or hurt a soul. He wants you so bad. 
just say, okay, yes, Lord. And begin to decide what needs to be cut out, what needs to stay. Live for the Lord. If you're willing and able, to stand as we sing this song? And then if the Lord has spoken to your heart today, He's calling on you to make some kind of public decision or response and to say something. Or maybe you're accepting Jesus Christ, your Lord, and Savior for the first time. Or you're repenting of your lack of gratitude for what God has done for you. You're repenting of an area of your life that you know you've been consuming and not using it for God's glory. Whatever that might be. And would you come and share whatever the Lord is saying to share in privately with you? So we too can grow, we can grow. listening to this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo was a Southern Baptist church plant and ultimately settled at 255 Hefner Street in Toledo, Ohio, which is the old Hefner School Building given to us by TPS through the city of Toledo due to their recognizing just how awesome New Heights is. Well, okay. They saw our impact on the community and they saw a building that was going to waste and they put the two together and here we are blessed to be in this building. We're a relatively young church looking for people to come and join us. Would you consider coming to plug in? Send your family, send your friends. Let's reach New Heights and Jesus together. Look forward to many events coming from New Heights. Uh, we've got book bags being circulated through our pantry for all the Saturdays and Sundays of August, as long as the book bags uh, last, which uh, I don't know how long that's going to be. So uh, if you want to come to the pantry and get groceries, if you're eligible, and you can come get book bags for your students. Students do need to be present for that. And we're supporting the Southside Life Station. Southside Life Station is a food and clothing pantry that is a ministry of Northwest Ohio Baptist Association here in Toledo. We'd love to have you support the Life Station with us. You can do that through donations of gently used and clean, ready-to-be-given-away clothing or other uh, odds and ends, miscellaneous household items. Nothing bigger than a microwave, please, because we just don't have space for it. You can do it by volunteering to deliver or to pack groceries for delivery or for pickup or for people who need it. We've got hundreds and hundreds of boxes and bags that need to be packed pretty much every day. We could always use help with that. Opening and hanging clothing, sorting by age and gender in our clothing pantry. You can also do it by recruiting others to help us. You can be an enlistment partner, enlisting folks to donate or enlisting folks to come and serve or spreading the word so that we can have help people and let them know that we can help. We do deliver to the entire city of Toledo. 
uh, and uh, we have folks coming pick up from our front door as well. We are facing a $60,000 deficit for the fiscal year 23. And so if you know of someone who is interested in giving financially, any little bit will help and spread the word. Uh, when you go to your doctor, when you go to your dentist, when you go to the store, whatever, let people know that they have the opportunity to give to the South Life Station and the awesome work that the Life Station is doing. You can read more about it on lifestationtoledo.com. Encourage you to download our app, Life for Toledo. It's in the App Store, regardless of whether you're on Android or uh, iOS. And then you also, from there or on your own, you can get a free subscription to Right Now Media for the next year or so. I think we're ending at the end of June next year. Our church has arranged for a free subscription to Right Now Media for anybody who is interested in looking in our general direction. And that is. Uh, basically like a streaming service similar to Netflix or one of those, and it has 20,000-plus Bible studies on there and 2,500-plus kids shows, all family-friendly, and many of them Bible-based. And you can get that for free. You can text NHFBCT, as in New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church at Toledo, NHFBCT to 49775. So you just go in right where you'd put a phone number in if you were texting and put 49775 and then you text NHFBCT and it will send you the link. Then you click on the link and then you go in there and put in your email address and choose a password and you're ready to sign into Right Now Media and start watching free programs, Bible studies and kids programs and all kinds of good stuff on there. You also can do it via the app, the bottom link on the front page, I think it is, the bottom button. If you push that button, it says Right Now Media, and you can get it that way. That's in our app, Life for Toledo. So there's a lot of good stuff going on, and that's just the beginning of it. Obviously, you already know about our podcast because you're listening to it, but please spread the word about that. You might not know about the Life for Toledo podcast, which is a podcast of two-minute encouraging messages, and then also a wide variety of other things will be showing up on there. At New Heights, we've got a bunch of ministries that could you can plug into. If you happen to be a Christian gamer, you can plug into our Christian games ministry. That's cards, board games, war games, role-playing games, all kinds of stuff like that. We have our arts and crafts ministry that needs folks, as we can do some arts and crafting in groups, and also in decorations, decorations for events that we have, uh, some art contests that are regularly going on, and so on. One of those is going on even as this podcast is being posted. You can make a 30-second thank you video or just a fun video talking about the Life Station in some way. And as soon as we get seven of those, we're going to give away a $50 gift card uh, to the winner. And so you're welcome to kind of come up with an innovative way to either thank or just promote the Life Station. And you can win a $50 gift card to, I think it's Walmart, but can't quote me on that, but it's a $50, $50, might be a $50 Visa gift card, but it's anyways, a $50 gift card. So. Uh, please connect up with us any and every way and spread the word. It is July 25th, 2022. You've been listening to the sermon from July 24th, 2022. You might be listening to this years later, and so some of what I've just said may not be current. But I would love to connect up with you. As long as I'm still serving the Lord, I would love for you to come and serve with, with me, alongside of me, as we serve Jesus. Let us reach new heights in Jesus. Wherever we are, you may live thousands of miles away. It's okay. Do it right there. Enjoy our podcasts, enjoy connecting to Right Now Media, and, and overcome evil with good right where you live. And then plug into a local church near you and begin to serve and give through that body. And maybe you can connect our body to that body. That'd be great. Anyway, God bless you today. May the Lord shine down on you his many blessings and fill you with his Holy Spirit and lead you in the paths of righteousness down the highway of holiness 
there will be sorrow and sighing, but ultimately all that will be gone and we'll be with him in glory. And I'll see you at the tree as we worship our sovereign God eternally. God bless you.